What's up, everybody? This is the Disciple Makers Podcast brought to you by discipleship.org, and I'm your host, Dave Soval. In this episode, we get to hear from multiple leaders about the effects of and also how to realize when you're just simply doing too much. I especially appreciated this episode as a minister myself, but it also speaks to the lay minister, the ones working 40 to 50 hours a week at their jobs, all the while trying to juggle kids and their activities and making time and space for dating their spouse, as well as being faithful to the call of Jesus to make disciples. This was incredibly helpful in its Relational Discipleship Network's last track session for this round. So let's jump in and hear one more time from the RDN team and let them fill us up with knowledge so that we can live this stuff out. Enjoy the episode. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How you guys doing? Everybody still with us? Everybody all right? How's your guys' energy level right now? Let's find out. This side of the room, give me a little shout. How's your energy level? Come on. We gotta work on that. Okay, this side of the room over here, give me a little shout. Okay, now, now that you know what you're up against, you have one round again. Alright, we'll do one, one more round. This half of the room, give me a shout. Alright, this half of the room, come on. I, I think they got you there at the end. I think they got you there at the end. Sorry, guys. Uh, my name is Moose. I'm the director of the Relational Discipleship Network. How many of you guys have been with us from the beginning, first session? Sweet, beautiful. How many of you guys, this is your first session with us? This is the RDN. All right. So on your table is a Next Steps card. You guys can scan this QR code or you can fill it out, and then we're going to follow up with you and contact you and let you know uh, how you can get involved. And if God is stirring your heart for what uh, we're offering, we'll follow up with you. There's also this card called Discipleship One. So in the Relational Discipleship Network, we believe that Jesus modeled relational discipleship. So that the, the teachings, the truths, the life that he gave was in a relational setting, not somebody from the stage proposing truth to you that didn't connect to your life at that moment, that he journeyed with those guys. And the, the DS1 is a two-day experiential journey where you're invited to come and see, participate in, and walk all the way through the process. Uh, it is the thing that has changed the mission of churches all around the world and people's heart for ministry when they've come and walked through the process, when they've felt it, when God has resonated in them, when they've seen the changes in their own lives and the changes that happens within their staff when they come to those events. So we'd love to have you guys come and join those. Uh, there's the May, June is sold out, but the rest of those are still able to be booked. But uh, we anticipate there's been a lot of response from you guys, so I would jump in on that. Uh, we're going to have, uh, we've got, yeah, we've got Scott and Jim, and they're going to come up and talk about the fact that we're not in this alone. So many times we, as leaders, think we're carrying this weight on our, on our own, and we take on the responsibility that is the Holy Spirit. And if you do that, show of hands, how many know that you get crushed by that when you try to take on God's part of this equation? And so these guys are going to visit with you about how to discern that, how to figure out where's that part that's my part that I'm responsible for, where does God's part play in that, and then really where is the individual persons that we're discipling, where's their part, because there's three different parts of this equation. So uh, these guys are going to talk for about 10 minutes each, and then we're going to bring a panel up and uh, let you guys ask some questions and interact with you so that we can get into the weeds of how this affects your guys' ministry and life. So Scott, take it away. All right. 
Well, we had the uh, hype man after. Was that legit? Were you guys being honest when you were yelling, or were you forcing it? You there? <laughs> so I'll just believe you. Uh, my name is Scott Harris. I'm lead pastor at North Shore Christian Church in uh, just north of Seattle, Everett. Uh, and so I want to, uh, as I talk about this subject, uh, talk about God's part, our part, their part in disciple making, I want to uh, just share my story as, as it plays into this and how I discovered it. I was like many, many pastors uh, in uh, 18 years into full-time ministry, and I was at a, a pain point. And I was uh, asking the Lord, what, what next? I've been doing this for 18 years, grinding and battle, uh, battling, and uh, I wasn't quite sure. I said, is this what you want me to do? And is this what it is? Ministry. And I was doing what everybody did. I had some wins and some good things. I was uh, up at uh, an island up in uh, Washington, and, uh, the smaller church, and, and there were good things. So if I started telling you, here's all the uh, the wins, there was wins there, but I felt my spirit that said, there's got to be more. And I was just in this place of a great, great frustration. And I'd say this, uh, right now, I think in the ministry, uh, pastors are in a season of great frustration. Uh, we were just talking a minute ago, uh, and it was quoted to me that 7.2 out of 10 pastors have considered leaving the ministry, right? And we won't do a show of hands because your elders might be here. Uh, so do not put your hands up. And how many of you say, that's me? Uh, and this dog fight's getting hard. Well, I was in a season like that, uh, and I just started praying. I said, God, would you show me what you want? Uh, I want to see you, Jesus. And so, literally, uh, I'm, I'm praying in my office, and uh, up in Seattle, the sun doesn't come out very much. So this, this is a miracle right here. The sun's out, uh, and a sunbeam comes through my window, and it uh, hits right on a book on my shelf. And my sister was uh, working uh, as an assistant to a pastor in North Idaho, right? I knew him a little bit, talked a lot, uh, kind of to him through her. Uh, and his name was Jim Putman, right, this guy. And uh, he had, um, I don't know if my sister stole it or he gave it to me, but sent me a book. Uh, and uh, I apologize to you, Jim. Uh, here's the truth. I hadn't read it in a long time. I put it on my shelf, okay? Uh, but literally, it's like, it's just the lights on it. And I went up there, like, got it from the shelf. It was uh, church as a team sport. So I sat down, and I'm a jock. So when I say another miracles, I sat down and read a book, right? Um, so I read this book, and um, I, 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 I did not put it down. I read that book uh, until it was finished that evening. Um, got online, I got another book, and before within the weekend, I'd read three books that Jim had wrote. Um, and I had a shift in my heart that I have felt since I was saved. Uh, and I knew right then I'd never do ministry the same. Uh, my ministry was very, very me-centric. I mean, I was a pastor. I was a pivot point. I basically did everything and tried to inspire people to please help me. Right? And, you know, I would, my days were spent running around the baseline, touching the bases, and as a thousand miles an hour. And year after year after year after year. Um, and after reading that book, 
the, the, the shift turned toward my ministry, uh, toward relational discipleship. And I knew I was called by Jesus. And again, I love this man, uh, but it, it wasn't his words, is what he pointed me to. And that was the words of Jesus, the method of Jesus. I saw Jesus and I knew that I wanted to do what Jesus did. And so I went to my senior pastor and I was juiced up and excited. I mean, of course I had this experience. He's going to have that experience when I tell him all about it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you right there. That's good. I heard that laugh. And those that didn't laugh, your senior pastor sitting next to you. Right? Um, and uh, exactly. I don't have to tell the story. You know, you know what's coming. Uh, no. He's got a plan. And so I went back to my office, uh, but I knew I, my life was different. I was never going to do ministry the same. But I also, that same scripture I was moved by tells me that I have to submit and be under authority, and I believe that wholeheartedly. So I would not usurp the authority of the senior pastor. Uh, so I said, okay, I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to call it anything. So here's my role, my job, and I was the associate pastor of small church, so I was over 16 ministries. So I began to relationally disciple all of those leaders. And what my ministry was like prior to that is we would come in and I'd give them information toward uh, getting directives so they would go execute the ministry, right? And just hopefully I could beg enough people to help me out, right? But half the time I did it, right? I believe I was lots of babies and, you know, all this stuff because if the uh, nursery worker didn't come in, guess who they tapped on the shoulder? Me. So anyway, so, um, so that's what I did. And, and, and the shift I made, and it's really, you see it in John 17. I'm going to come back to that. But uh, and there is, uh, the shift went from the information for directive to, to intentionality for transformation. Okay? Uh, and allowing the transformation to overflow. Yes, there were still directive in ministries. And so what I would do is I said, okay, all my leadership meetings are a certain time. I will not extend any meeting like Okay? I'm not going to call what I do anything. I'm going to intentionally pour in uh, to these people and disciple them. Okay? And so I began to do that. Um, and what happened, uh, again, uh, uh, it was a miracle. Uh, people, like I said, I, I run all the ministries, so I met with everybody. Uh, what happened, my meetings actually got shorter uh, because uh, when I would pour into them, and they begin to be transformed by Jesus, right? Their hearts change. When we started talking about the X and O's of ministries, it was just easy. We are just unified. Uh, it was almost not much to talk about. It's like, okay, you're going to teach this class today? Yeah, no, good. Versus before, it was hours and hours and hours, and we'd fight and argue and battle through the plan. Uh, but hearts were melting and changing, and people were becoming disciples and growing. Um, and then they, in turn, were beginning to disciple other people. So I didn't tell them to because I, I didn't want to usurp the pastor. They just did it because it was the, uh, the overflow of their heart. Uh, so the end of the story, when I get to John 17, is um, I'm in my office one day, and probably the most radical change I made, I, I took my desk out, so I had no desk. That wasn't a study room, office anymore, the pastor study, remember those? phrases, the signs, uh, it was a discipleship place. So I brought a table in, a round table, 
no desk, and uh, there's some food and stuff, and uh, I would sit there and pray and invite people to come in, and I would disciple them, right? So that's the change that you can visualize. Everything else you, you didn't know other than people growing in Christ and growing in spiritual maturity. So I'm in my office one day at this table, and I get a knock on my door. It's the chairman of the board. Okay, lead pastors, when the chairman of the board comes to your office, I'm fired. Something's bad. I know it, right? And he says this, hey, Scott, you know that thing you're doing? And I'm like, oh, great. I've been found out, right? I'm going to get fired. Uh, he says, we've been talking as elders because a lot of their wives are in the different ministries that I was in. He said, uh, we've never seen anything like this before. Something's happening. That thing you're doing, would you come to the elder board meeting tonight and would you do that? What do you say to the chairman of the board? Yes, but I had another problem. What was it? The senior pastor, right? Oh, crud. Uh, so I run to his office and said, now I'm really going to get fired. Knock on his door and I started apologizing. He goes, you don't have to apologize. Uh, he came in here first. Go ahead. Yeah, that's fine. We're good. So I took them through a relational environment that night, that elder board. Uh, and those men melted before the Lord. Uh, again, there are I never seen most of them cry. They're weeping before the Lord as they're getting vulnerable and deep as they're pouring Jesus into them. And, and this church sort of transforming and changing. Um, ultimately, I, I, how I got to North Shore is a, a position opened up to a church that already shifted. Right? And I, yeah, I, I had shifted so much more. I had to go somewhere I could be trained and developed in this. So I went there. So that's that story. I'm going to take you back to John 17. Because it's Jesus' model. I think John 17 is one of the most beautiful disciple-making chapters, right? Because as you look at John 17, uh, John 17, verse 4, Jesus says this, right? And he's praying to the Father, right? The high priestly prayer. And he says, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. Right? What work was that? Because we, we say the completed work of Christ, the finished work of Christ. What are we typically talking about? The cross. He hadn't gotten to the cross yet, and he said he'd finished it. What's he talking about? Making disciples, right? He says in there, it's the 11. There's one that was lost, right? He says right in there. So he talks about making disciples, right? And then he talks about their heart transformation. And then ultimately he says uh, in verse 18, Father, as you sent me, so I send them. So why is it Jesus' method and model? Because his word says that's what he's doing. John 14 says when we do that, and we know the evidence, that we will do a greater work than Jesus. Right? The magnitude of the work uh, is he never left Galilee in, in Judea, right? And here you sit in Indianapolis, <coughs> being disciple, learning how to be a disciple. It's the greater work. And here's the important thing. Let's go back to the top and I'll wind this down. Is uh, I was frustrated. I was burned out. I was tired. Because it was all about how much work I could do. Um, and what changed was what kind of transformation can happen in people's lives. That they in turn would pour into other people's lives. <clears throat> what happened is other people were doing the work. I got to be this wonderful front row spectator to watch God doing great things in people's lives, changing their hearts and their minds, and then changing their ministry and the work that they would do. 
quick example, a guy named Fernando, who, uh, when I went to Norsho, they gave him to me, and I, um, you know, and I was getting, you, you disciple him, okay? Uh, and so I start pouring into this guy, uh, wasn't discipling anybody, so I just discipled him, poured into him, right? So the model I talked about, uh, Fernando, uh, began to finally learn how to disciple, make disciples himself in the overflow of a transformed heart, and he started discipling two people. Those two people introduced him, he's a Filipino, uh, to somebody who spent time in the Philippines and the U.S. Uh, and he began to pour to that person. They went back to the Philippines, told people about this and what was happening to Fernando and me, and Fernando discipled him. He started discipling someone in country, and today, Right? right now, I get a front row seat to this because I discipled Fernando. We have hundreds, nearing thousands of people that are discipling each other, pouring each other, churches being transformed and changed, right? That's all God's part. I did my part, right? And each person along that line had to do their part. Uh, the true and faithful part is God, he will do it. And as you look at my story, as I experience this story, I'm nowhere near burnout. That prayer, 18 years old, not even close to my lips anymore. Uh, do I work hard? Do I get tired? Do you go to live? But I'm not spiritually tired because I have, you know, because of what God did, an army around me of people making disciples. And I get the privilege of being a part of that and watching it. So uh, God is faithful. He'll do his part if you'll do your part. Right? And then we have to trust, and each person is responsible for their part. And Jim's going to talk more about this as well. So love you, Jim. Yeah, um, well, you know, I don't know how much to add to that. I, I think when you're, when you're talking about discipling, um, it, 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 whatever field we human beings are in, it very quickly can become our identity. It very quickly can um, become about how successful we are as a person based on how we did in work. It used to be a time where men were like that and women kind of held their ground. Now we're, we're, you know, we're trying to encourage women to be stupid as men are. You know, your identity is your job, your, how much money you make, what, what you have. You know, we, men have always been, you know, that's been easy for them, but now we have equal opportunity stupidity going around the world. Um, I, want to, I want to share with you just a, a visual. We call this... Uh, if you guys have been in the other, uh, this is all in the journey. If you guys have been in the the other um, sessions, do you remember we talked about what's called the S C M D? These are this is Jesus's reproducible model as we describe it. Uh, he shared who he was. Those who he, who uh, accepted him, he invited them into connection. He started to change them to be rather than consumer minded and become ministers. And then they became intentional and they went out and made disciples. Does this make sense? And this is like a journey. It's a relational journey you take. So I always talk about, there's a, this, I'm a terrible drawer, but this is like a car. It's a relational vehicle. And I'm inviting people to go on a journey with me through the SCMD. Making sense to you? So I invite you, I'm gonna share Jesus with you. We're gonna get into connection. We're going, to, we're going to make this change. 
Now, the end goal is um, uh, what, what I call the five spheres. So I'm going to do this like this. I'm, again, I'm not a great uh, drawer, but it looks like that. As you go through the book of Ephesians, there's a progression that it takes through the book of Ephesians. He starts with who you are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You're adopted as children. You're, you have the mark of the Holy Spirit. You're forgiven. You're, I mean, the first eight verses, I think it's 12 or 13 times he says you're in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We call that the abiding sphere. That's your personal relationship with Jesus. That's who you are in Christ. Not You used to be this, now you're that. To get to Ephesians 2, he said we were all by nature objects of God's wrath. But because of his mercy, right, that's where you're saved by grace through faith, right? So that tells you how you got in Christ. But it's all this in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. John 15, where was he getting that from? Abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. In Christ. Okay? As you walk through the book of Ephesians, he then goes into the church sphere. So Ephesians chapter 2 says, You're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, so that no man should, should boast. You're created anew in Christ Jesus for good works, which God planned for you to do before time began. Right? Created anew for good works. Where? Well, he now goes into what's called the church sphere. Okay, the church sphere. Uh, the church is uh, the wisdom of God. It's on the foundation of the apostles, with Christ as the cornerstone. You are a holy nation. Excuse me. Uh, he says you uh, you used to be this, but now uh, you're you're a, you're a part of the household of God. He talks about church, and and then within the church, you've got the pastors who are like the spiritual parents and the fathers and. What's their job? To equip the saints for works of service. Then he talks about relationships and don't let the sun go down on your anger. He talks about all these relationships and all this stuff that's going on. Then he starts talking about the home. Husbands, wives, children, right? Then he goes and talks about slaves and masters, the world, the work life, right? And then he closes us with, finally, listen, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the, the spiritual forces of the heavenly realm. So that's the spiritual realm sphere. By the way, it's the same exact progression in Colossians. Okay? So I'm abiding in Christ. This is who I am in Christ, but this is who they are in Christ. And this speaks of the discipleship relationship within the church. Now, some people go, how come he talks about the home after the church? Well, it's because these people come from the world. They don't know what a home's supposed to look like. It's in the church disciple-making relationship that they go, oh, that's what a father looks like. Oh, that's what a mother looks like. Oh, that's what a child should do. That's what leadership looks like. You lay down your life for, the, for these people uh, rather than you use your authority for your own good. It's in the church sphere when it's functioning correctly that the people learn to be in the home. Now, as you, as you become a Christian and you have a home life, you're hoping that you're raising children out of your home to be in, as a part of the church, right? But remember who he's talking to in Ephesians. These are people who didn't know the Lord. So he's starting with abiding in Christ. You're part of a spiritual family. You're born again. You have a father, but you have brothers and sisters, spiritual fathers and mothers. Then you have the home. This is what that's supposed to look like. Now, this is what that looks like. Now, this is like abiding. In fact, at every stage, he says, out of reverence for Christ, 
Submit, therefore, one to another as he goes into the home. As Remember that you have a master in heaven. He always points you to who, because of Jesus, this is how you work here. This is how you work. This is how you work here. And as you walk in Christ, he starts to build your life this way. Now, at the same time, you know, you're, the devil's trying to get in here and trying to attack your abiding relationship with Jesus, who you are in Christ. He's trying to pull you out of that because then your identity can become your work or your marriage. And, and, and the enemy wants to, he's like, listen, this is who you are in Christ. Jesus has changed your life. Now you've got this spiritual battle. And now how do you withstand? You do it together. You put on the armor. You, you watch each other's back. You fight together. And so there's this five spheres. Now, this is why this is so important. What happens when this, for men, gets kind of canceled, this work sphere starts to take up so much of the time that the family gets what's left over, the wife gets left over after he's exhausted. The church is something you go to every once in a while if you have nothing else to do. You understand what I'm saying? The, I'll take my kid to youth group if he doesn't have practice that night. And it becomes your identity. What are your kids learning? When the man gets sucked into his identity, what does he get? I, my boss. I have to please my boss. I, I'll get, well, I won't be able to feed my family if, it, if I don't make my boss happy. problem is your boss, if he's a non-Christian, his identity is business. And if you aren't helping him achieve his identity, then you got yourself some problems. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Now, here's the problem for pastors. Your church and your work are tied together. Not only uh, is that your church and it's spiritual, but it's also your work and it's spiritual. And the devil can get you working for God and for your people in some sort of spiritual sense. It becomes your identity, and you quit spending time with Jesus. And when you get out of balance in your abiding relationship, these spheres get too big, take over everything, and your life is completely out of balance. Part of the discipleship process is SCMD, figuring out who you are in Christ. And so this sets everything else up in balance. He's the architect who puts this all in balance. And if you're not abiding in Christ, you will be pulled out to the world's way of hearing things, doing things all over the place. And you will become too important. Or you'll become nothing at all. I mean, the devil doesn't care which way he pulls you. You're, you're, why, what, why, why do it? Nobody cares. Nobody's going to care if I cheat a little bit or if I, if I look bad a little bit. Or, I mean, I don't really matter that much. They'll be fine. Or it can't work without me. If it's not me, if I'm not working on this, if I'm not involved in it, and now you're carrying the weight or you're carrying none of the weight based on what the devil whispers in your head. So this God's part, my part, their part is super important. My part first is to abide in Christ. If I don't abide in Christ, I become too much the center of everything else that happens. I start, if I let my identity be built in my church, then I start spending so much time down there that my children actually see the church as a thief. 
They don't like the church because it stole my dad. It abused my dad. Or my dad thinks that's more important. And even if your life is in order, the devil will sneak around and tell you that. Tell your kids that. And if you're not paying attention because you're so exhausted, doing, doing your part, and again, your part's too big, what happens to the rest of your spheres? What does the wife feel about the church? Does she love it? Is there any balance in it? Did God ask you to give up your family for the church? Is saying no to the church the same as saying no to God? Depends on what the church is asking for. And so part of discipleship is for me to help people abide in Christ, and I have to model that, and I need people to remind me, hey, there's a little too much of you right now, Jim. There's a little too much of you. You're not that important. Well, i got to go and preach this week, and it's an important subject, but are you the only one who can preach it? Right? i got to have people keep me in check because I can get off course, become too important, or get discouraged like I stink, I'm terrible, and there's just a loss everywhere, and I don't even matter. And then, then, then that tempts me to do, if I don't have people in my life, and that's what the church spirit is supposed to do. It's me and Jesus connected with me and the church family, not a building I go to, but relationship that helps me remind me who I am. And then my wife and I, we, it's, as we abide in Christ together, that, that, as these two things happen, now this gets the part it's supposed to have. This is a mission field. That's it. I, I, I can work there to make money for my family, but how much do I actually need? And what do I want? If I'm not abiding in Christ and putting the kingdom of heaven first and working here, this sphere, especially for men and in the world we live in, achievement, success, money, stuff, it's the American dream that takes over the kingdom of heaven and shoves it right out. What this does in my discipleship is I get to ask questions. Tell me about your walk with Jesus. All right, what does Jesus say about your work life? Let me ask you some questions. What's going on with you and your wife? Well, we haven't had a date night for a long time. Well, why? Well, because my children, every night of the week, there's something going on every night of the week that we have to go to. Well, tell me what that is. Soccer practice, wrestling practice. Wait a minute. When did soccer practice become something you had to do instead of something that you can do or not do. Well, my kids gotta have a scholarship. Why? Well, because they gotta have an education. Why? Is that the most important thing? Well, God can't use you if you don't, if you don't get a full scholarship? And by the way, while you're spending all this time with teaching them to be good at soccer, you know what they're gonna be teaching your kid when they get to school. You have helped hand your kid over who's good at soccer but can't defend their faith while they steal their faith in the name of soccer. If you don't have people asking these questions and walking people through this and keeping you, and if you don't, the questions are formed around not just what are the doctrines, but I'm asking questions about these parts of their life, always centered on what does Jesus say first. This is where the directions are, the presence of Christ is, and the power to be who, and if you're like, I just can't do it in my marriage anymore, tell me about your walk with Jesus right now. Well, my walk with Jesus is fine. No, if you walk in the light, you see us in the light, then you have fellowship with one another. If you're not plugged into the power source, then your marriage becomes a drain sucker. If, it's a, if, if you're not being who you're called to be there, then this is the problem. And if I'm not asking these questions 
and letting people ask me. You, you understand what I'm saying? Again, this is just a taste of where we go. But this is the bullseye. Share, connect, minister, disciple, where? In every sphere of my life. Head, heart, hands, feet. Bullseye. That's what we're shooting for. Uh, so, yeah, my first guys come up, Bob and Joel. Uh, we've got a couple of people with mics here to walk around and talk. Ask you guys can ask questions. Uh, this is going to be question and answer. So, everybody, get me. There'll be a question. There'll be an answer from here. Uh, resist the temptation to read through your resume. Uh, we've, we've had that happen quite a few times, but what we want to do is hear from you guys about the real pragmatic challenges that you face, and how do you make these priorities, and how do you make those decisions? Because aren't I supposed to sacrifice myself for the cops? And where do we draw those lines, and how do we discern them? So, uh, Jason, where's everybody with the mics? Who, who do we got? Angie's over there. Remlo's over there. So you guys got questions? Throw your hands up, and we'll get somebody to you. Okay, um, you, I've been all four sessions. You, you've told us about how hard this relationship, discipleship is, and that there's been a lot of failure with this. How effective is this relationship, discipleship, because is it, is it going to be worth the price? Is it going to be worth the cost? Because is this just another, you know, um, another model? And so that's what I'm asking. Is it really, is it going to be worth the cost? Well, let me, let me just ask you this. Have we asked you guys here to do anything that Scripture hasn't asked you to do? Can you guys think of anything that we did that has gone beyond what is Scripture? I mean, definition of a disciple. Making disciples in a relationship. Right? I mean, even the SMD comes uh, from, we're just trying to follow what is Jesus' process of making disciples. And bullseye, all I'm asking is, what does the Bible say in Ephesians about your identity? What about your church? Work life? I'm just asking questions, right? So this is all scriptural. So then if that's true, if it's, I'm just asking you to actually um, start to try to implement in your church, you're the pastor, is your job a coach or are you the paid player? That's all scripture. All we're asking people to do is go back to the beginning and start living out the scriptures in your church. Now, does that guarantee that you're not going to have pain? No, I see Barnabas and Paul getting in a fight. I see, G, or I see Paul saying at the end, everybody's left me. Demas has loved the world more than he loved me. Is that going to guarantee anything? No. So then why are you doing it? Like, do you tell people to tithe because um, they're going to get rich off of it? Or you tell people to tithe, you've already been made rich and it belongs to the Lord. And you do it whether you have, you're doing it because you believe in the kingdom. It's not to get something or to not get something. Why do you do it? Well, so that you hear good and faithful, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I asked you to do. He takes care of the results. We do what he says. And um, and it, it, I know people that have done this and they've had 20 people in their church. Or, and they've got a couple of friends and they've been hurt a bunch of times. Everybody I know who's done ministry has been hurt. And then you have to go, why am I pressing on? Why am I forgiving? Why am I turning the other cheek? Why am I doing the one another's? Why am I carrying their burden even when they didn't do it? Why am I confessing? The Bible, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love endures all things. It always trusts. It chooses. Now, again, there's levels of trust. There's nuances to this. 
All we're asking people to do is do what the scripture says when it comes to methodology in church and discipleship, just like they do when they say they believe in the Trinity, or Jesus is the only way to the Father. The same God who said that is the same God who gives us commands to do this. So I can't guarantee anything, and there's been no guarantee in my life. Have I been hurt? Absolutely. Do I get to work with some of the best friends I've ever had in my life and we've had to fight through stuff and argue and work and stay committed? That's it's like in your marriage. Have you guys done what God told you to do in your marriage, but then had a bad season in your marriage and it didn't go so well? But how many of you stayed married and kept going? Why is it, why, is it, I'll just, I, I'm talking too much, I'm sorry. But I remember I had this couple 50 some years was visiting our church, and they'd been to every church in town, and they, they wanted to meet me, and I found out real quick it was an uh, interview on whether they wanted to stay, and they told me about the churches they'd been to and how it had hurt them and all this stuff, and I said, you know, how many years have you been married? They said, 50. I go, well, why? And they go, well, 1 Corinthians 13, love does this and love does that, and it keeps no record of wrongs, and I said, that is so true. Let me ask you a question. Why have you used that passage as a guide for your marriage, but not as a guide for the church, which was it was intended for? That's, a, that's not a marriage context. It's a church context. You can use it for marriage, but it's a church context. How come we don't use it in the church, but we use it for our marriage, and we use it conditionally? The trust of somebody giving their life to Jesus and meeting it is they suffer for it. Is it always bad? Heck no. I, I get certain sometimes on the people that hurt me. I was telling Bob about this. There's a few people that had some resolve and it's been painful. And then I get focused on that and I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. And my other friends go, what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> Does it work in every case? No. And can you get high centered and on the pain? Yes. But if you decide not to have any relationship with people because of your pain, you have allowed the devil to do his work. You've done it for him by isolating yourself. Um, I just add to this. Um, uh, what does scripture say when, when one sinner repents? Uh, is one sinner worth it? If all heaven's going to rejoice, then we should, right? Um, and uh, look, Luke 15, right? The whole kingdom of God and that, and that whole single thing. So uh, we talk about it, it's hard because what we don't want you to do is walk away from here and run back home and I've got the answer. Because uh, it's way more difficult than that, uh, but it is worth it. Because one sinner who repents, if all heaven will rejoice, I will rejoice. Uh, and I tell you what, if you pour into people's lives with intentionality and let the Holy Spirit do work, you will see people grow. You won't ever pitch a perfect game, because uh, you can't, uh, but you'll see God work. Yeah. I uh, was wondering, this is my fourth session here, and I was wondering, uh, with that last uh, forum we just had about discipling your family or growing your system. I was wondering if you could share if there's like a church or something as a method, you have a methodology like church-wide that helps to disciple the youth of families, to work with them, to abide in Christ, like uh, <coughs> to disciple cross-generationally. Like an alternative, I, I think in our first meeting, uh, you guys shared that like about 80% of youth quit going to church or they graduate from church after they graduate from high school. So I was wondering if there was maybe a part of your methodology that helps young people stay connected. It's going to start with fathers. To answer your question, it's going to start with men leading in the house. 
And I'm talking about supporting that, yeah. like as a church family as well. Yes, I understand you're starting. Yeah. Um, I'll answer real quick and I'll jump out of the way for these guys, but, um, and then commissioning them and specifically talking to them about what it looks like with their wives and with their children and how to lean into that. And it's in that relational environment again that we're contextualizing that. So this son's having this problem, this daughter's having this issue. These are uh, the guys that I've worked with and journeyed with in that I'm able to then walk through and tell them my points of failure, the places that I've done real well, the places that I would do differently. And I've got that continual engagement, but I'll let anybody that wants to, you guys have a... Can I give a little more context to you? We're coming from there. Uh, I live in Kokomo, Indiana, which is probably the poorest capital in the nation a lot of times, where there's a lot of kids. We have a lot of brokenness, like kids don't have dads, but they are connected with our church. That's where we're kind of coming from. So maybe that will help you a little bit. More. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so... Some of the things that we do with our with our kids ministry and our student ministry, it looks exactly like we try not to model things differently for them than we do for our adults. And so when we talk about the value of small groups, we talk about the value of sitting in circles and doing life together, uh, of having an intentional leader in their life with a, uh, a biblical foundation for relationship and a reproducible process. Uh, we do the same things with kids and teenagers that we do with adults. Uh, and, and so we're always going to strive to... to not just have them show up for a, a fun youth Wednesday night service where they're going to have games and music and a message from the stage and then that's it. And they go away and they never process it or think about it or have another adult in their life. We're going to always push them towards smaller environments and into relational environments where they're going to have uh, adults who care for them and are invested in their life and who are willing to, to take next steps with them to disciple them individually if necessary. And so everything is going to be about, um, for our children's ministry, we do the same thing. We, we sit in circles with our kids, and we have adults that pour into them. Uh, and so everything becomes more about how do we look at that as an, um, a vehicle to get into discipling relationships. So our Wednesday night program, we want it to be great. We want it to, to have some attractional value to it. The kids want to be there. Uh, it should be fun. Church should be fun and engaging. Uh, and so, But we also want to make sure that in those times we're connecting them to solid, spiritual, mature people who are going to invest in them and take next steps with them. Um, as I've been here all four times and listened, some of you talk about um, life groups and some of you are talking about one-on-one discipleship. How do those work together? Is it a both-and, like you're doing both, or is it one might use this strategy, one might use one other? Is there an advantage to either one? Uh, so I'll say this. I, I don't believe that being in a small group equals discipleship. So we, so our strategy is we're trying to get people out of a large auditorium into a small living room. And so sometimes that can feel intimidating. So trying to help people take their next step. And so when we cast vision in our small groups, it's hey, why are we here? What are we doing? Why why did you come up? Ours meets on Sunday night. So you know why did you come? So hey, our goal. Which don't you know, this is not the final, this is not the end, end goal. Because when I first got there, they had t-shirts, all this stuff, get in a group, get in a group, get in. So what we conveyed was like, that's the win. That's not the win. That's just another, that's just another step. The win is when you become a mature, reproducible follower, a disciple maker of Jesus. And so I'll cast vision and say, hey, we just so you know, my hope for every single one of you in here is that you'll go from just attending our small group to eventually getting into a discipling relationship. Are there aspects of discipleship that happen in our group? Yes, as long as the leader is intentional. But is it equal discipleship? No. And so 
So that's why I've got uh, four or five guys that I'm discipling. I lead a small group. Uh, my wife and I lead that group. I have a men's group that I lead. Uh, but the, the guys I'm in discipleship with, only one of those guys is from my small group. I've got one from my men's group. And then a couple other people uh, from you know other aspects within our church. So uh, so that's how it, it works out for, for me, for us. And so, uh, yeah, they're different Different context, different things that we're going after. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can you guys, with all this stuff that you're talking about, can you talk about self-management? Um, being a new pastor in a new church with sermon prep and counseling and discipleship and all these other things. I know we're in different contexts, but can you guys speak to that a little bit? Well, I'll tell you what we do. And I, I think I, I don't remember. I've spoken I don't know how many times this week, so I don't know who I said what to. But on our staff, we know uh, there's a passage of scripture that means a lot to me from the very beginning where Jesus said to the Pharisees, you tie burdens on people's back that you yourself won't lift a finger to help carry. So that, to me, that's always meant don't ask somebody to do something you're not doing. So I know all these people have a job. Many of them have a job. 40 hours a week or more. Correct? If you're a business owner, I mean... It's, it's more than that. And then what we're asking them to do is come be in a, a life group, be in relationship with your wife in, in, in the life group, and then and flow out of that into a men's group in some ways. Be at church on the weekend. Serve in some way when that comes up. So I'm always trying to go, okay, how do these people have, remember the five spheres, how do they have a, uh, if their job is, that's 40 hours, well, how much time to be a part of the family of God here are we asking for I go, okay, you put church together, you put, you're in a small group, you've, you've got, uh, you know, I put 10 hours there. So um, if I was looking at anybody else, I would go, hey, if you're working 60, 70 hours a week in your job, where's that time coming from? What are you giving up? Something. Maybe you're not dating your wife because now you're also involved in church. So now you're 60 hours here, you're asking them to do some here, and then what's the... How do we help them live a balanced life? I can't ask them to do that if I'm not. So what I do is I go, we have what's called the, the job sphere would be this for us. That, that's called the ministry plan. I have a 40-hour ministry plan that deals with my meetings, sermon prep, everything else. Then I want 10 hours that goes towards my disciple making during the midweek, 50 hours. 40, 10. Okay, now again, they have a job, they do something else, and I'm asking them to be in a life group, be to church on the weekends, uh, uh, get to know people, do some, you have your own quiet times with the Lord. I'm trying to make this a way that's manageable so they're balanced in life with everything that they have to go on. Now, again, some people don't have a job. Um, some people are stay-at-home moms, which is the hardest job on the planet. You know, but we're trying to say there's a way in which you're to run your life. If you don't help them run the life in a balanced way, they will fry. If you're training them all these hours and then you're asking them to actually shepherd and pastor and disciple, well, okay, now you're training them and you're now you're you're putting so much on them that, that they're out of balance in something else. So when you're discipling them, you're going, here's me. I got 40 hours to do my ministry plan. I got 10 hours, and by the way, every staff member has to turn it in, tell me what their ministry plan is, who are they intentionally making, every small group leader, 
or every every just a staff member, even if you're a, 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 a assistant, a, a woman, you're in some sort of group where you're involved, and that's part of your ministry plan. You're in church on the weekends, or your personal ministry, ministry plan. You, that you're you're going to do what we're asking everybody else to do, or you don't get on staff. And if you try to get out of that once you're on staff, you won't be on staff. All right, so now that, the nice thing about the 40-hour plan is I've got people who can ask me, how many hours are you working this week? Our elders ask me, how many hours are you working this week? Well, I had an extra funeral and I had this stuff, so what does that look like? Well, probably 50 hours this week. And then you're in your men's group, your two men's group, your, 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 your life group, and you're in church. Yep. Okay. Um, see, a lot of pastors, unfortunately, I'm just going to say this. A lot of pastors are lazy and they don't have uh, uh, accountability and nobody else is at the office and they get away with what they want. But a lot more are so driven, they will die and kill everything uh, in their life. And so having accountability, someone who's looking at yours, you have to answer to for your own good, not because they're like dictators, I'm gonna control you. So if there is a week where something terrible happens, and it, it happens. Um, you, you guys have just heard about the, the funeral we had in North Idaho because a guy broke in and killed three people. And the funeral was at our church uh, in the University of Idaho. Okay, we have that stuff happen. I may work more that week, but then I have somebody going, all right, this next week, you're doing what? Uh, I'm bringing it back down. Because it, it's, a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And if, if I don't model that, then everybody else goes, well, you do what are you doing? We have to say no to some things so we can say yes to the, be to the better things. And that comes down to my part, God's part, their part. If I think I have to do everything, then there's too much emphasis on me. If I'm not raising up leaders who can take, the, take it when I, and so I'm not needed, there's too much emphasis on me. What, what is it, fear? Pride? What is it? We have to put our lives in such a way that our family goes, hey, my dad dates my wife every single week. My dad comes to my games. My dad does stuff. With my dad's a dad. See, I left the church in part because the church stole my dad. God took my father. God didn't take my father. My dad just didn't understand. He learned later. Having a balanced life, abiding in Christ, making sure that I'm living a life of balance is what God asks us to do and to train people to do. For the, for, I'm just, yeah, for you guys that, uh, that preach, um, how has this emphasis on relational discipleship changed the way you preach? Is, is, it, is it different now than it was? It, what, are you, what are you doing different? I'm guessing I'm not the only preacher in the room. Um, just on, just on a purely like tactical level, is this focus on relational discipleship, has that done something the way you preach sermons, or just curious about that? I mean, I'm a, I'm a way better communicant now. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think the, I was always, I think I was always a pretty transparent communicator. Uh, but what this has done is it's, it's kind of raised the bar even higher for me to be incredibly transparent with our folks. Uh, and, and so 
I think that's probably the, the biggest thing, I think, as far as vision. Uh, it's constantly, when I look at my messages, constantly looking at how do I keep weaving in what we're going after and why and keep calling people to uh, relationship and, and so forth. But, you know, I, I think the it, it, kind of going back to the very first question that was asked about the cost of it, I would say it's pretty easy when this was the mission that Jesus gave us to keep it front and center. Because it's not something I created that I'm trying to get our church to go after. It's something that Jesus said to go do, and we're just trying to be obedient. So that's that's how it's impacting the preaching. So I would say two things in line with that. Um, one is that it's allowed me to invest in other guys who now preach in our church. And so as I've discipled them, I've raised up other other preachers, so I don't have to preach nearly as much. Right? And so I can trust. I've got about six guys that any Sunday I could give them the microphone and just go, and you're going to carry that this Sunday. I've been here this week. I'm not going home and preaching this Sunday. I'm going, I'm going home with my youth pastors preaching this Sunday. But we've built a message together and we've worked on those things. And so he's going to step in and do that. And so it's raising up other leaders to be able to do the things that you're doing. The second thing I would say that's been so helpful for me in this, and this has come from learning from these guys because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a guy that joined into the network a lot younger than, than these. These guys have been around it for a long time. I'm kind of younger in this a long time. All the old guys up here on stage. So, um, but one of the things that they really helped me with. <laughs> sorry. Um, but one of the things that they really helped me with was even sermon planning. Like how many of you, when you're writing your sermon to get ready for Sunday, you sit in a room by yourself and you read commentaries and you study and you write and you do all the things and it's all alone. And then you're going to get up and you're going to give a sermon all alone. Um, several of us, I can't speak to everybody, I haven't asked them, but we do sermon team. Where I, I spend every Tuesday night with about four or five people from my church. And we sit and we look at the passage that I'm going to be preaching on the next week. And go, give me your insights. What do you see here? Let's talk about the passage. As a, I have women on that team, females. Hey, what, what, what do you see that's different than I would see? Because you're reading it from a different perspective. I have older people on the team, like some of these guys on the stage here. So I ask them, from your perspective, what do you see, right? And so, uh, so that has helped me get so much more depth and insight into a passage that I'm going to preach to our people because I'm getting a lot of perspective from my congregation that I wouldn't have if I was sitting in a room doing it all by myself. And so the relational discipleship part of that has been I've, I've, we've raised up and trained up people to help us do all of those things. I have almost nothing in our church that we do by ourselves. Everything is in team. Everything is in discipling relationships because we, we're, we're better together. We're stronger in that way, and we need each other to do those things. Any you old guys want to talk about one? one, one <laughs> the oldest guy. One, one thing that I would tell you, too, is when you're leading a small group, because we're sermon-based, especially when you first start out, uh, and then as you get more mature as a disciple maker, then we kind of let you uh, go, well, where's my group at? What do they need? But there are seasons where it's sermon-based. When I'm in my small group hearing what people thought about the sermon, um, what they got from it, and how often I missed the mark and didn't know it, or or they would they they got, they brought some sort of real life situation. A lot of pastors they meet with pastors, they're by themselves, they don't really know where the people are at on the front lines, so they're asking and answering questions that the people aren't even asking or answering. But by being with them, 
I know where they're at, what they're hearing, and I'm able to shape my sermons around what where they're at versus where I think they're at or I hope they're at. You know, one of the one of the things you do in sports is you see you try to figure out if you've got a, a five year old, you teach different than you do a thirteen year old. It's the same move, but you teach it differently, right? In the same way, you've got spiritually uh, people in spiritual different phases of growth in your group. You've got the more mature, you've got the spiritually immature, you've got, and by taking that into consideration, I have a face in my mind. If I preach this, I know what that person's going to hear, because I know them. I've been in these conversations. I know what needs to be said from their perspective, not from the, 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 you know, the super mature only group. So the sermon club, we do it together, wise counsel, uh, from different perspectives, dive into the word together. I'm raising up preachers and teachers. I'm getting wise counsel, but I'm also doing this with my small groups in mind, knowing what this is the big question. What is that guy or that lady going to do with what I just said? How is that going to help them? It, it has to hit the front lines. If generals are in a room without knowing the front lines ever been there and even knowing what they're like, you can start thinking they need things they don't actually need. Being on the front lines is powerful. All right, one last question. Where are we at? All right, I'm an office manager at our church. I work with four ministers that are basically doing what Scott was talking about, where they are wearing themselves out because our church isn't in that discipleship structuring yet, and we can't get them there yet. How do I encourage these ministers that are wearing themselves out? That's a, let me just first say that's a tough spot. You know, um, I, I think a lot of prayer goes into that and, and waiting for the right opportunity to be able to speak into that. Uh, I'm going to ask these guys if they know how to answer that question because I actually don't. Yeah, I was going to, I had wrestled with answering that question before on self-care. Um, I, to be brutally honest, I really don't know if you can. I had people, so I burned out years ago when I was in my early, uh, yeah, early 40s, late 30s. Hit the wall, had to get on some medication to kind of get my serotonin stuff and gotten jacked up and just ran too hard, just way too hard trying to, you know, keep up with the ministry and leading and blah, 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 and all that stuff, family of, you know, six of us. And and, and again, it was one of those things of, of you know, I had people saying, man, Bobby, you know, there's part of it to slow down. The other part is keep going because you, you got to keep feeding the, the, the engine, right? And I was working out and I was coaching and I was doing all these things and dating my wife and trying to, trying to think I was checking all the boxes. But there was so much stuff internally that was driving all of that that no matter who was going to tell me to slow down, I had too much internal junk uh, of fear of failure and all the other stuff that I hadn't worked out. And that's what I'm saying. You can be as sweet and kind and try to tell them all the right biblical things, but if their internal stuff continues to keep driving the unhealthy decisions, there's not a whole lot you can do. You can pray for them. You can encourage them. Uh, but they've, they've got to make those choices to set up some appropriate uh, healthy boundaries, learn what Sabbath actually really means, and begin to apply some of those, uh, those truths in their life. 
um, because I do. My, my wife and I, I mean, that's been one of the, the gifts of, of really learning what self-care, like the greatest gift I can give to our church is a healthy me. It really is. And yet, it took so long, and it's still at times I can say it out loud, and there's still things inside that can keep, there's still these voices that I've worked through, like I know better, uh, but belief drives behavior. And so I've got to keep going to bat. What is truly true, and what is it that I've believed for so long that got unhealthy fruit? So uh, I would just encourage you to pray for them, encourage them. Um, and set them up with a counselor. I don't know. So. <laughs> every pastor needs a counselor on their speed dial. If you think you don't, you're smoking something. <laughs> well, or maybe that's why you don't have them on your speed dial. <laughs> I want to talk about Jesus and Peter for a second. So Jesus talks up to Peter and he says, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. Jesus' prayer for Peter did not stop him from denying Jesus. The God of heaven prayed for Peter, and it did not stop his failure. That's crazy. It was in that brokenness. It was that part of Peter that had to be broken and surrendered. And so many times as pastors and leaders, we want to try to intersect that and cut that off and keep people from their bottom and keep people from that moment of brokenness. And it's the work of God. And if we can be kind and merciful and loving and engaging on the backside of that for that restoration, a lot of times that's our, our part to play in it, even though we're so desperate to keep them from crashing out and hitting that bottom. And so if Jesus couldn't stop with Peter, why would we think we could stop it? So guys, thank you for journeying with us. Uh, these guys are the coaches that work within the network. So when we talk about being a relational discipleship network, when you get involved, when you come to a DS1, the back side of that is that you get plugged into a coaching group. So this kind of dialogue, these kind of questions, those kind of specific things that you're encountering, you're not doing that alone. These guys have three or four guys that they're walking with and talking with and journeying through the process. So that's our vision for you is to be in a relationship. When we've got other guys in the audience right now that have joined and started that journey, if you see anybody with a red lanyard come and visit with us, we'll talk to you more about it. We'd love to have you come to the DS1 and have a deep dive experience with us. Thank you, guys. Thanks for coming. That was great stuff from Jim and the rest of the team. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Up next, we're going to be hearing from E3 Partners. E3 exists to ensure local churches are readily accessible to everyone, everywhere. We've got Josh Spinks, David Kaufman, Brian King, and Corey Spinks, so I'm pumped to be hearing from their team. If you haven't already, please click subscribe. I would love to have you a part of our family here. And please drop us a like or a review or a comment or something to let us know how we're doing. All right, y'all, enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you.